Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to our 15th and final edition of Roland Garros Relived. Catherine, how are you feeling when I say that? Wistful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start missing the past. Sort of, it's like a, a double, I don't, know what, I don't know what that is. How are you feeling, Matt? You're right. I'm all right. I can believe it's the 15th. Yes. <laughs> when, when I came up with the idea, I tell you what, let's just keep doing the daily podcasts at, at the slams that we promised we would at the start of the year, even though there's no tennis, by watching lots of matches in the past. I thought it'd be ever so easy. <laughs> it, it turns out then we got lots of ideas about how to do it, uh, including interviewing everybody we possibly could find relevant to each match. And that's what we've done again today for Simona Halep against Sloane Stephens 2018 final. And we've got Darren Cahill as our special guest, coach to Simona Halep. And uh, yes, it's been a long and tiring journey to get through to day 15 of these podcasts, but we've enjoyed it immensely i think it's fair to say um so let's get cracking with this one uh this match has a lot to it doesn't it the whole saga because um simona halep had is it three grand slams she'd already played uh at the, to that point and not like won finals one. yeah finals yeah yeah she'd played the 2014 french open final and lost in three to sharapova she'd played the 2017 french open final and lost in three to ostapenko and she'd played the 2018 australian open final just a few months before this and lost to wozniaki all three setters she played well in all of them she had a lead in all of them and lost all of them Mm. and it was becoming a real saga actually can Halep get over the line? Mm. 2018, you say? You want some facts about 2018? Oh, here we go. <laughs> well, it's not long ago, is it? So you can probably remember most of this. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle married. There you go. Yeah, I, I hosted a semi-ironic uh, gathering in the garden. Did you? Did you? Was that on the invitation? <laughs> Dear um, I did have to clarify with a few friends and family that I wasn't like a rabid royalist and it was just an excuse to make some cake and sausage rolls yes i, I remember seeing the pictures um <laughs> wasn't invited but it's all right it's okay 
We can handle that. Uh, Aretha Franklin and Stephen Hawkins both died. Toys R Us went bankrupt. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not quite sure why that's in my list, but it is. I'm not sure why I'm laughing either. Uh, but Toys R Us went bankrupt. And uh, student Matt became grad Matt became Matt. <laughs> Yeah, 2018 was a big year for my build, transformation. Build below the collapse of Toys R Us, though, Matt. How do you feel about that? No, I think it was best. I think it was best until last. Right. Wasn't okay. It? That's how I was reading it. Yeah. I once saw uh, Philip Schofield in a Toys R Us in Reading when I was about five. Great. Don't say I don't have good stories. Yeah. <laughs> did you speak or did you just acknowledge him? I don't think so. Uh, I remember being very excited because it was circa Gordon the Gopher time. I was with my dad. That's a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. And he, I think it was um, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat time as well. Right. Matt wasn't even baby Matt at this point. He's never even heard of these people <laughs> are. You don't know who Gordon the Gopher is, do you, Matt? No. no. Uh, right, so onwards. Um, <laughs> just minor note of correction: you didn't mention that, that Fulham got promoted in 2018. Thank you for pointing that out. It's not really <laughs> relevant, is it? Um, <laughs> and it didn't last long. It's as relevant <laughs> as Toys R Us. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, so we we have this final on our hands between Simona Halep and Sloane Stevens. And it was one that I must to say I was I was looking forward to immensely as a tennis match and it's just in its own right of these two players battling it out because I thought it could be a really good final. Um, and actually, I think it ended up exceeding all of those expectations. Um, and y- y- you're quite right, Catherine, when you talk about the the number of finals that, that Simone Halep had already been in and it was similar to players we think of that we've already covered here in, in this Roland Garros Relived series, uh, like Ivan Lendl trying to win a, a first slam. Andy Murray, of course, it took him a few goes. Um, Goran Ivanisevic. But Simona Halep, yeah, she'd already had three. She'd had Darren Cahill by her side for a while by this point. Um, so let's hear from him about the journey that had led to this moment. We'd been together for about three years before she played that particular final against Sloan in 2018. And I guess the memory of what happened in 2017 against Ostapenko as well was right in the forefront of our minds. So for her to go out and do what she did, and they say that uh, most of your most beautiful destinations, you can't get there unless you go through a bumpy and a tough road. And that was kind of the journey that Simona had had even before I came along. She had made the final of the French Open and lost to Maria Sharapova in a great match, 6-4 on the third, and she had her chances in that one. And then to lose to Ostapenko, and then the next year come back. Um, and in between that, of course, you remember the final that she played at the Aussie Open against Wozniacki, which was another great match. And just even getting to the final at the Australian Open was an effort in itself. So I, I think that helped her a lot. She learned a lot from that particular tournament. And when she got to the final of the French against Sloan, she had a little extra confidence and belief in herself to finally get it done. Hmm. Given all that she'd been through to that point, I imagine there there is a chance that there's going to be some scar tissue from those previous narrow misses. What what was your role specifically in the lead up to this match to get her to get help get her over that that hurdle? Well, she did it. It's you know you don't get down a set and a break against a great player like Sloan 
And if you can remember back there, I think Sloan had a faultless record once she got to the finals of tournaments. And she was incredible in the later part of tournaments. If you're going to get Sloan on a bad day, the chances of getting her on a bad day were much better in the early rounds of a tournament. But once she played herself into a tournament, she was so tough to beat. So for her to be able to put everything aside, she was down a set and a break. I'm not sure if you remember the match. There was a key moment at 6-4-2 love. She had her serve. Uh, Sloan had barely missed a ball and was pretty much domina- dominating her from the back of the court, playing with a little more power, better accuracy off the ground. But that next service game, she came to net three or four times and knocked off three volleys. And, and that was a real turning point for her because she finally realized that you don't just have to play one way to win a tennis match. And I think that was a big wake-up call for her. And once she did that, she held serve. Uh, she went around, she broke serve straight away to get back into that second set, and she started to to really grow a little bit taller on the court. So my, my role was all-encompassing, of course, as any coach's role, is to prepare for that match, send her out there with a couple of different game plans um, to make sure mentally that we learned from those other losses that she'd had in those big tournaments. The one thing I did change is she's kind of got this personality that, she wanted the pressure taken off her by her team and her coach before every match. And this is, goes back to her junior days. She used to ask her mum, you know, it's okay if I lose this match. You know, I need to know it's okay if I lose this match before I walk on the court because I need to take that pressure. I can't play with that type of pressure. So this goes back to her junior days, and it kind of went through her professional days as well. And, and even when I came along, she kind of needed to hear that message from me. And the only thing that I really changed was that before she stepped onto the court against Sloan, I looked her in the eye and I said, no, no, today's the day. Uh, you've done all this work. You are good enough. You're an absolute champion. I know you can win this. We are not leaving this court without this trophy. So I kind of switched the talk up, the pre-match talk. Obviously, it was a lot longer than that, but switched it up and put the pressure back on her shoulders because I, I knew ultimately she could handle it. Uh, she's such a strong lady anyway, and I knew mentally and physically she was able to do it. And it's one thing to say it, the words are easy, but for a player to go out there and accomplish that, you know, that's all her. Yeah, it's that is fascinating. And it's also fascinating because Stevens, to my mind, played one of the great Grand Slam finals for a set and a bit. And yep. Simona, despite having had those words from you, she can't have you out on the court at, at a slam, and she's had to work out a way through it, and she did. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a heck of an achievement. Yeah, a couple of weeks before that as well, and she didn't have an easy road to get through to the final as well, but even a couple of weeks before that, she played a pretty key match against Maria Sharapova in the semifinals of the Italian Open, and that was an important one for her as well because for most of that match, she was outplayed, and she dug deep. Uh, she fought Maria, she fought the crowd a little bit, she fought me in the coach's box, and she used up so much energy to get that win. But that win in such a big match in the semis of, of the Italian Open gave her confidence that she can get it done. She doesn't have to rely on anybody else, that she can find a way even if she's not playing her best tennis. And you're right, that Sloan played, I thought she played faultless for a set and a half, and after that, Simona was able to raise her level of a game. Um, maybe Sloan's level came down a little bit after that, but they went toe-to-toe for, for the next 30 minutes or so. And even late in that second set, it really could have gone either way. But once Simona won that second set, then I really believe she was going to get that done. 
What What's going through your mind when Stevens is playing that well? And as you say, she's a great front runner at the latter stages of tournaments. But was the was that moment when she started to come to the net, Simona, and held that service game? Did you Did you sense we're onto something here? Well, she had to change it up. She couldn't keep playing the same way that she was playing because she was getting pushed further and further behind the baseline. She wasn't in a position to control any of the points. Sloan was playing smart. She was playing with heavy spin up on Simona's high on her backhand. And whilst Simona can handle that pretty good, she's not going to get ahead in the point with that particular shot. And Sloan was using the backhand down the line incredibly effectively. I basically remember every shot from that match because as a coach, you live and die every point. And I'm just looking down at Simona and hoping that she would firstly become a little more aggressive, trying to hold the baseline a little closer, be a little more aggressive on her serve and start to hit her forehand down the line. And if she's making that particular shot, even on clay, then she can start to open up the court with the shots after that. And up until that point, she really wasn't in a position to take the forehand down the line or the backhand down the line for that part. And and once she came to the net at Love 2 in that second set, then you could tell that, all right, you know, I've stepped inside the baseline here. I've won three or four points being aggressive. I don't just have to sit at the baseline and wait for something to happen or wait for my opponent to give me the match. I'm going to go out there and try to take this match. And take it she did because it was just a, an incredible switch around in, in fortunes because – there she is after 11 games of the match and she won just three of them because Stevens is playing, as I said there to Darren, one of the great finals in a Grand Slam. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody playing better for the set and a bit that they, they started that match. Well, while I was, we, we, we rewatched the, the first set separately and watched the, the, the second two uh, together this morning. And while I was rewatching set one, I sent you both a message saying, uh, Sloane Stevens just makes tennis look too e- easy. It's almost irritating how easy she makes tennis look when she's when she's on form like that because her movement is so effortless. I think it was at the French Open last year that Simon uh, described it as like a, a, a Rolls Royce. She's almost sort of purring around the court and the ease of power on the backhand and uh, 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 sorry on the forehand and. I know her backhand is the weaker shot, but it's by no means a significant weakness. And her ability to to reset a rally when it seems seems like her opponent is on top, and that was what Halep stopped her from doing in the second set. She she stopped her from resetting mid rally and 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 wrestling control. But yeah, in full flows, Sloane Stevens is is a joy to behold, and just while we're we're talking about Stevens. I, I, sh- I should probably give a rare note of credit to Simon Briggs for what I consider to be his greatest ever predictive moment. Unfortunately, he didn't follow through and commit it to to writing in our official predictions competition. But as documented on the podcast at the time, pre-tournament, I was having a chat with Simon, I think on the, the eve of the tournament, because he had he hadn't submitted his uh, predictions. This is before he resigned from the predictions competition due to abject failure. Um, <laughs> I don't know people in glass houses and all that. I don't. I'm I'm already regretting my words. But anyway, I said you haven't done any predictions, Simon. You got to get them in. And at this point, I, I know Sloane Stevens was the reigning U.S. Open champion, but she'd not really done anything of note 
since then. I think a few goodish results on the clay, but you know, let's not forget she had eight first round losses after winning the US Open. Not many people were talking about her as a potential champion. And Simon said to me, I've just got a feeling for, for Sloane Stevens. And I remember balking a bit at that. And he said, oh, I know, I know. It's a bit outlandish. Outlandish. I don't know if I'll be able to to actually commit it to writing. And he didn't, but it was... <laughs> <laughs> he deserves a bit of credit for it. But he did commit it to audio. He did commit it to audio. He, and she can... She can just turn it on, Sloane Stevens. It's like it feels like she can just decide to play better tennis than anybody else at will. She's incredibly smooth and mm. makes the game look annoyingly straightforward when she's playing her best. And I think that's a fascinating contrast with Halep actually in this match, who has a similar game style. I mean, they're both baseliners, they're both great movers, but with Halep, you really see the effort and the struggle that goes into all the rallies and all her shots. So you've got this lovely contrast between the two of them when they're going back and forth from the baseline. Um, and I remember having the same feeling. I think I think possibly you, David, got called up by the Twitter account Freezing Cold Takes Correct. on this day. Old when, takes um, exposed, to be yeah, precise, because I had <laughs> tweeted at uh, exactly 3.05pm UK time, an hour into the match, I'd, I'd posted... This performance from Sloane Stevens in a slam final is the equal of those from all-time greats like Serena Williams, Roger Federer, <laughs> Martina Navratilova and Rafael Nadal. That good, I'd said, at 6-3-2 love. And you got a bit of stick when it then went wrong. Turned around, turned around. dramatically, but th- immediately. <laughs> but I think what was interesting is that often you will get a player playing brilliantly and then kind of fall apart and then lose the match. But Stevens doesn't completely fall apart in this match. It's something that Halep does, which Cahill talked about there. Halep changes, which causes the momentum to switch around. And that is so impressive because normally when a player looks like, oh, there's nothing like there's nothing they can do against someone playing that well, it's normally because there isn't anything that they can do. But Halep did figure out that there was a tactical switch she could make in a Grand Slam final, under all that pressure, to, to be thinking so clearly is is a really tremendous feat. And I think particularly impressive that she was able to think through and implement that tactical change, given how reliant we all thought she'd become on Darren Cahill to do that thinking for her. Of course, at tour level, you were able to call the coach on onto the court and he or she could tell you what to do. And, and, you know, everyone was and is so fascinated by their player coach dynamic that we were, you know, really into their coaching exchanges. And there was so much narrative around her over-reliance on, on Darren Cahill in his mid-match inputs. So for her to be able to do that solo, given everything that was swirling around her, I think is is a particularly great feat because yeah, there's a bit of a dip from Sloane Stevens, I'd say end of the end of the second set where she starts to look fatigued and frustrated. And although I think she said after the match that physicality didn't come into it, it certainly looked as if she had just lost half a step, but it didn't last too long. I know that third set is one-sided scoreline six, one, but for a lot of that third set, she played really well and it was as tense 
and close and competitive a 6-1 set as as I can remember seeing. I think maybe Simona Halep doesn't get enough credit in her career for her ability to to invoke a, a gear change like that because I agree with you. I mean, you, you said before we started watching that third set that you got a feeling that even though it was really one-sided on the scoreline, that it was an ordeal, that it was that it felt really, really close. And, and watching it back, all the games were very, very close. And s- suddenly, Stevens is playing pretty much, well, not, maybe not as well as the first set, but she's playing really well in the third set. And she's getting out, out hit. She's getting beaten, fair and square, by a better player. And that was backed up again by the way Halep then goes and thrashes Serena Williams in the Wimbledon final. These are levels of play I don't think I had ever really given her credit for having. I didn't know she had them. And I, I draw a little bit of a parallel to how when we were watching the 05 Nadal Federer match, there's this assumption, me included, that Nadal has one way of playing and one level. And if people drop below it, he wins. And if they go above it, he loses. And actually, that's not giving these players enough credit because Halep has proved there that she could wrestle control of that match away from Stevens. And Stevens didn't do an awful lot wrong. And I mean, aside from the, the sheer mental triumph of that, because when you're 6-3, two love down in a final again, and it's going wrong again, to hold it together is a heck of an achievement from, from Halep. Well, actually, I think, it possibly helped her that it was as she she hadn't really been down in finals. She'd lost from winning positions in all of her previous finals. It must yeah, have true. helped her to think when she was in that position to think, well, bloody Elena Ostapenko was in this position last year and she's got a flipping French Open trophy in her cabinet, hasn't she? So if she can do it, then so can I. That that must have helped her in that moment. Would have been easy to feel sorry for herself though at that point, wouldn't it? And tailspin, and she didn't. And I, and because I was worried for her that that would happen because of the way Stevens was playing, mm. it'd be very easy to just think it never works out for me, you know. And I think it must be very easy when you're playing Sloane Stevens in that kind of form to just think, well, it does not mm. matter what I do today. This is this is a, this is a a futile pursuit because she's just effortlessly brilliant. And it almost looked like she was thinking that in the first set because she had these long stares down the court after they'd both played this brilliant rally and she was just staring at her box. Kind of, it looked like, what can I do against her? And then to snap out of that and turn it around in the second set was incredible. And I do think that being down did in a way help her because... She didn't have to be afraid to lose. And I think um, I think she's talked about this. I think she's talked about she doesn't like to make expectations of herself and then be disappointed when she's not able to do it. Um, I, think, I think she's had a mindset change in her career where initially she didn't put the expectations on her. And then as Darren Cahill says in that incredible line saying, he put the pressure on her for this one. And I think... When you've got the pressure on you, at least she is knowing that she's giving all of herself out there. She's not she's not leaving anything behind. She's not got any insurance policy on the court. She's and I think I think that actually kind of counterintuitively freed her up in a way. Yeah, I mean, as you said in that interview, David, that that little story from Cahill about how he changed up his 
mental approach and his preparing Halep for that final was absolutely fascinating. I was relating so hard to his description of Halep's sort of default mentality of and this was something that the philosopher Alain de Botton was talking about recently on a on a podcast talking about people's sort of mental coping strategies with with coronavirus um there are some people that just want to be told everything's going to be okay and they find comfort in that and there are some people that want to be told everything might not be okay but don't worry you you will be able to cope with it if it's not okay. And I'm very definitely in the latter category. I want to catastrophize, but think, well, you know, the world's going to come tumbling down, but somehow we shall we shall endure. And Simona Halep wants to hear, it's okay if you lose. It's okay if you lose. Um, and I, I just, oh, that's so relatable to me and really strikes me what a gamble he was taking by changing that up because that is in my experience that's really hardwired that way of thinking really really fundamental to someone's fabric of being and obviously it worked and it's an absolute coaching masterstroke but boy was that a bold thing for him to do strikes me uh and i I meant to kind of have a follow-up with him about this and i didn't quite get around to, to doing it um that although he's somebody who obviously puts in a lot of research into opponents and patterns and and coaches does all the right things incredibly professional guy but i also feel like he coaches from the gut from instinct he feels what's required at any given time and he he related on one occasion where he feel like felt like he'd got it wrong and I, I, I personally remember the the WTA finals last year when he 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 went toe to toe kind of thing with with Halep, and he was in a face and he criticised her. I felt he got it wrong, but so many times I think he gets it right because I think he's got such good gut instincts, and I think and and I I can really relate to that. I feel like that's that's how I go about life most of the time is just just trust how how something makes me react instinctively um and i was thinking how in that stadium it was it was perfect really i know i know it's, it caused her a lot of angst in all the years that she waited from that first french open final but how much love was in that stadium for her? How much love is there in most tennis stadia in which she plays tennis in? Crowds love her. There's an incredible Romanian support anyway. But people, a little bit like we were finding with Varinki yesterday, people are just drawn to Simona Halep. Well, there's something very special, I think, about sport in that it, it does allow you the opportunity to invest in somebody else in somebody else's ventures and someone else's dreams really and you you can experience those with them and people had experienced pain really along with Halep losing these finals and they wanted to see her win one for her and for themselves I remember thinking it was a relief that she'd finally won it like for me, like a personal relief oh god Halep thank god thank goodness she's a grandstand champion and and I just think that translates into the crowd as well. And there are parallels there, I think, with with Andy Murray and the relief um, his his fans and kind of the tennis world felt about him finally getting over the line. And it's interesting they they both employed the same 
sports psychologists, didn't they? When they were in when they were in that position of only ever having lost Grand Slam finals for Murray, it was four for Halep, it was it was three. They they turned to the same sports psychologist. She come on the she podcast needs to um, work with Dominic Team. <laughs> well, well, that as well. But uh, I yes. think Dominic Team needs to be making oh, yeah. a call. He's the next one. Yeah. He's now in that position, he's, isn't he's he? He's busy playing he's the next uh, one. Uh, exhibitions with no crowds all over Europe. Matt, he's got other things on. Yeah, he's certainly making sure he uh, taps a lot of uh, clocks. You know, he's, he's <laughs> making sure he clocks in and out and gets enough enough miles on. <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Samantha Hallett wins the title, lifts the trophy. There's the, there are the scenes where she's climbing into the crowd and she greets her team and her family and, and there's a, a hug with Darren Cahill and there's a look on Cahill's face when she finally gets that match point over the line of of just relief, first of all, is what, what strikes me. Let's hear from him about how much it meant to him. Oh, it's indescribable, really. I 
to, to put it into words is nearly impossible because I, I've only lived the journey with her for a few years, but her, her journey has been a lifetime dream and, and the fact that you know, most people didn't really believe that she was going to be a, a success as a tennis player in the first place. And for the fact of a five foot five and a half, five foot six young lady from a, a small ta- town in Romania, Constanza, to to be there holding up the French Open trophy uh, with all the pressure that she had to deal with in Romania. It's you know, Romanian people are great people, and tennis is the number one sport over there, and uh, they love her to death. But with that love comes a lot of expectation and pressure and I do have one story that right before that particular match it was interesting because she has a pretty big entourage of Romanians that follow her around the place especially when you get to a semi or a final of a major and there was one really important person from Romania who came up to me and he, he pulled me aside he said Darren we need to win this match today and I through, through my head I'm kind of thinking yeah no shit sure like of course we need to win this match this is really important but I didn't say that I just looked up and I smiled I said she's ready you know she's done everything she's prepped she played really well, well against Garbinia Muguruza in the semis that was a big hurdle for her she played incredibly well to come back from a set down against Angie Kerber in the quarters that was a big mental hurdle for her so we're ready she's as prepped as she could be and she knows Sloan's game. She's had a couple of wins over Sloan. Um, I think she's going to get this done. She go, and the guy goes to me, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not talking about your Simona. I'm talking about our country. I'm talking about Romania. I'm talking about the people. We need this. You know? <laughs> and so I was nervous before that talk. I, I was shaking after the match because I could feel – Again, it's hard to put it into words, but I could just feel the pressure that she'd been living with for all these years to finally get it done. And it's no wonder maybe the pressure had got to her a couple of times in those big matches, but the way she handled herself, uh, the way she closed out that match and the way she played, and I can't speak for her, but for me it was the most satisfying and the happiest moment of my tennis career, and that's uh, my playing career included to sit there, to watch her do what she did, to play a small part in it, to be part of a team, and to see her accomplish that. There will never be a moment for me in sport like that because it meant so much for everybody. Wow. That, that's given me goosebumps, to be honest, hearing that. And it reminds me a little bit of when Goran Ivanisevic finally won Wimbledon. And he, I remember, went back to his hometown in Split and he was greeted by 150,000 people, people driving into yeah. the sea. Uh, I, yeah. What... What was it like in Romania, uh, as far as you you? Because I, I don't think you were there, but but what, you would have no. seen the scenes. Yeah, I wasn't there, and I regret not going back there as well because it was maybe. Uh, or she's had two chances to do that because she had a similar reception after she won the Wimbledon Championships last year, but. I reckon it was kind of a blur for her a little bit as well because she was so caught up in the emotions of winning and what it felt like, and there was a bit of a relief. There was a lot of joy. Her family was there, and they'd been at all the Grand Slam finals, the, the three the three previous, in fact, the ones she'd lost. So the fact that they were there, the friends were there. Um, we, we went out that night, actually, to celebrate, and both her and I lasted to about midnight because we were absolutely exhausted. <laughs> I remember her brother there going, well, where are you guys going? Uh, the night's only just starting, and we were doing you know, it. It just it takes so much out of you. It's It's... Yeah, just emotionally. It's not even a physical thing. You know, if she can play 10 sets in one day and it's no problem, but emotionally it just took so much out of her. And, yeah, when she went back and she had that huge reception, I think it was in the football stadium, I reckon about 20,000 people turned up with about two hours' notice into a football stadium. And 
uh, to go out there and greet everyone. It was uh, a remarkable thing. So, and that's kind of the way that she lives a life and uh, remain. I don't know if you guys are watching this Michael Jordan thing at all at the moment, yes. but there's been really fascinating. And she's not Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's one of a kind. But there are similarities between the pressure that Simona lives from the moment she wakes up, when she goes outside in Romania with the people, with the press, she gets on the practice court, and that's kind of her safe haven. Then you leave the practice court, and you've got to deal with the people and the press again. And, and you know, so it's just to find that uh, relief for her is really hard to do when she lives in her hometown. And uh, to give that joy back to the people in Romania, I thought was a remarkable thing for her to be able to do. And and not only to do that, but also to follow it up and, and have the year that she had after that and remain the number one ranked player for a couple of years in a row. It's She's got a lot of strength and she earned every cent of that. Well, you can hear, you can feel the pride that he has in her performances, can't you? It's it's great to hear. And, and also what she's been carrying around all this time. It, it's a great insight into what it is like to be Simona Halep that Darren Cahill has given us there. Yeah, and it's you know that that insight into to to what she's like. I mean, not that it's any any different to kind of what we see. You know, she is a what you see is what you get kind of person, and that's one of the things that that makes us all, I think, feel so affectionate towards her. But it's a real testament to to the fact that strength comes in so many different forms and can look so different on different people. You know, she's she's not kind of an incredibly strong person without frailty and without chinks in her armor. You know, she is, she's, her frailties have been there for everyone to see. And, you know, she's, I don't know, she's not your stereotypical idea of, of strength, which of course is, is, is a nonsense, whatever our stereotypical idea of strength is, but she's somebody that's shows a lot of emotion, shows her, shows her frailties and, and overcomes and, and deals with them all. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think she's a fantastic, fantastic example and, and role model. I love that, you know, she still lives in Constanza, doesn't she? In Romania. Um, she's, she's just, she is who she is. She's entirely herself. And that's, that's a magnetic quality in somebody. And it's so pleasing how much she was able to enjoy this victory. I mean, I know actually last year we did debate with Mary, I think actually whether she was too happy in a way Mm. when she returned to Roland Garros the next year, but for a year, she certainly just loved it. You know, she talked about how it kind of changed her as a person. She went from being a little bit uptight to chill and that was her (laughs) word. And for someone whose defeats had haunted her or certainly impacted her visibly to then visibly see her enjoyment of a victory because sometimes victory might feel i don't know a bit hollow or empty once you've done it or you might not have the time to appreciate it because you're going to wimbledon four weeks later but she did take that time to appreciate it and obviously she's since gone on and won another grand slam so even with that change of mindset she's still she's still able to be just as good if not better than she was before I remember I interviewed her for BBC television uh, during Wimbledon 2018. So what would it have been, three three weeks after she'd won the French? And she ended up losing. Did she lose to Sue Shea at that Wimbledon? Rings a bell. Anyway, it was after she'd. I think it was after she'd won one of her very early round matches. She was still in the tournament at this stage, um, but 
she very clearly didn't give many hoots about it. She was, <laughs> it was brilliant. She was like, this has come. She was like, I'm trying my best and I, I hope I do well, but this is far too soon. <laughs> she said, I, I, you know, I basically just want to be at home cuddling my French Open trophy. <laughs> um, and it was, it was great. You know, it is brutal the way the game just moves on. And um, with no opportunity for for reflection, particularly after the French Open, yeah, um, they just it all just comes so thick and fast. Um, and I love that she just looked so fantastically happy and said, "Yeah, you know, I'd like to do well, but I've got my trophy." But then came back um, to to the summer swing the following year, and remember said said in an interview that actually it was her coach, uh, Daniel Dobrev, that said uh, in an interview I did with him at the French Open last year, he said, Wimbledon is the goal for us this year. He said, title defence here is great, but this year is all about Wimbledon. Yeah. And and they did it. And Catherine was right. It was Shay Suey who beat her 7-5 in the third in 2018 at Wimbledon. So Catherine on fire as well. So there we are. Very good. I was I was anxious for a few moments there. You both, even Matt, gave me a blank look, which made me think you have got this so wrong. <laughs> no, no, we just didn't know, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just hadn't got the first foggiest clue. But Google has helped me out, uh, thankfully. So yeah, one of the great wins in recent times. I think both as a match, I think it was a cracking fine. I really enjoyed rewatching it, and uh, again. As you said, Matt, Matt, it's just a relief. There are certain players. When Goran Ivanisevic won Wimbledon, oh, that's all right then. Okay, he can, you know, we, can all, we can all just relax now. Everything's fine. Yeah, and I was, I was also left watching that thinking, God, I wish, I wish Lone Stevens could play like this again. Yeah. Because yeah. she has not done a whole lot at all, really, especially in the slams has- since then big dips in mm. interest level it seems and i think she's just a player who isn't she isn't like halep she isn't somebody who is going to always be on and always be into it mm. when she is it is a glorious glorious sight but we're all different and i, d- I don't want to be i don't want to criticize that because she's a different type of person i it it frustrates me sometimes i'd love to see what she would be able to achieve just like i'd love to see what Nick Kyrgios might be able to achieve if he's always dialed in. There are different players, there are different personality types, and I don't want to be judgmental about it. No, absolutely. You know, it's it's an incredible grind, the tennis tour, and it's only certain players that are able to 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 commit week in, week out. It's almost more it's more extraordinary and unusual to be able to commit week in, week out, I think, than than to to have the ebbs and flows. And yeah, it's frustrating because she's such a joy to watch play great tennis. But it's you know, she doesn't owe us anything. I just hope that that she has plenty more peaks to to go with the troughs. Um mm. and, and given the ease with which she does seem to be able to 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 find it, I, I I would think that would happen. There's no reason to think it won't. And maybe this prolonged period, or you know, her the U.S. Open title run came after came after a prolonged period away from the sport due to that that really bad uh, foot injury. So maybe maybe the same will happen after this. I don't know, but it'd be great. 
Yeah, I mean, Samantha Halep, I was thinking sort of other things being equal, you would expect she is capable of winning another Grand Slam, maybe more than that. Given the age she is, the motivation she still appears to have, she really wants to win the Australian Open. She's been vocal about that. But who knows what tennis will look like when it eventually returns. We, uh, we're we keeping a very close eye on it as uh, the French Open and the US Open are con- continuing to try to get something together behind closed doors. I've also just remembered that at that French Open 2018, I recorded a podcast with Mary uh, in the second week. I think it would have been around about quarter or semi-final stage. And and if I remember rightly, we had quite an in-depth chat about Sloane Stephens because yes, that's right. um, she was obviously becoming a factor in the tournament, U.S. Open champion. And I was, you know, I was, I was, I was, and am interested in her as a character because we don't have that much opportunity to to get to know her. And Mary has had that opportunity because she did a lot of work with Tennis Channel during her injury layoff, and I can't remember the the specifics of everything she said but if you are interested in an insight to Sloane Stevens, I remember it being as good a one as as I've heard and really really informative and just really helped me understand her a bit so perhaps worth going back to to listen to that I mean mm. always worth going back to listen to Mary absolutely <laughs> right uh, Mary who has been one of many that have contributed to Roland Garros Relift which is now at an end uh, for 2020 at least. Are we going to be doing Roland Garros lived in 2020? (laughs) If there is a Roland Garros live, we will be doing it. This is the um, relived equivalent of when you're recording the... uh, the final daily podcast and they're like clearing up the ticker tape around you and dismantling the stands yeah. uh, and packing away the net, isn't it? And instead I'm sitting in my office <laughs> and it's, it's nothing has been cleaned up in two weeks. I'm supposed to have completely, my wife has been on at me, clean that office up. And, and I've just had this built in excuse to do nothing with it for two weeks because of you lot listening to this um because we've been producing these every single day and um i hope you've enjoyed them we we really do we've uh, we've loved the process of putting them together i mean it's um it was weeks in advance that we were drawing up our plans and uh, coming up with players and coaches and people from the sport that we wanted to speak to to try to help to tell these stories which i feel enriched by my i mean i've been around for a while covering tennis watching tennis but there's so many stories that we've uncovered and and i've learned about partly because of just suddenly having a reason to go and look and and i'm embarrassed that i hadn't looked earlier but wow what a what a pleasure it's been really to find out so many people and and stories and watch the tennis again you know watch the tennis that these people played in the 80s and remind ourselves what it used to be like yeah and uh, a lot of the time in my case and even more so in Matt's case watch it for the first time you know mm. so much of tennis's history would were just stats on a piece of paper for me so to 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 bring it to life and give it some context and richness has been a real pleasure my dad is demanding a uh, a coffee table book of tennis <laughs> relived is he now He's uh, the the only tennis fan that doesn't want tennis to come back. He only wants tennis relived <laughs> from now on. 
Well, something tells me this isn't the last of Tennis Reload. For a start, we're going to do them every every single day at Wimbledon. And who knows what else I might think of to do with it. Um, you know, we, we might have an actual we, US Open. We've literally got the T-shirt, so... We, we have. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, no matter what, I think we'd like to do some more editions of it for for the other slams, even if there isn't an absence of live tennis. If live tennis hopefully does return for the US Open and uh, and for the Australian Open, I think we'd certainly like to do some some editions of this in the future because it's been a great a great experience for us and and hope you agree like to say a few thank yous if we could as well to all the people that have appeared in this series of uh, podcasts darren cahill who you heard today marion vider chris everts lindsay davenport both of whom you'll be hearing the full interviews from chris everts next week in our specific week dedicated to her we're going to play the interview for you in 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 its entirety and also have a proper deep dive into her career because there's so much to, to get into. Uh, Mary Carrillo, of course, Chris Clary from the New York Times, Stefan Edberg, Yannick Noah, Michael Chang, Gustavo Curtin, Sergi Bergera, Robin Soderling, Brad Gilbert, Tom Gullicks and Heinz Guntart. It's quite a rundown of names. Is that the first time we've ever done credits, like in a, <laughs> like in a film? Well. <laughs> so I can see them. I can see them rolling... Rolling up the screen. They are. They're rolling up on my screen right now. And then there's going to be one of those lions that suddenly roars, like in the MGM films. No, maybe not. Um, but, yeah, thank you to all of them for, for, for giving us their time and helping us to tell the stories. Thank you to Patrick as well, our editor, who's been with us every single afternoon and uh, dutifully editing out our rows uh, that happen from time to time. Patrick gets all the good bits. <laughs> yes. Um, That's not and, how Patrick sees it. <laughs> and of course, I mean, I think most of all, everybody that's listening to us, we we really appreciate the support we've had. Some of the some of the notes we've had sent to us just help help keep us going, really, and make us realise that this is worth doing. And and on that subject, Catherine was mentioning a couple of days ago, we don't tend to read out the the letters we receive, the the emails we receive, because it feels just a bit too much like we're. Um, reveling in our own compliments um but uh on which we this, do we just prefer to do it privately yeah we just see our <laughs> we try to keep, group. <laughs> which, <laughs> oh yeah we share it privately but we just sort of like to preserve some sort of decorum from time to time um however on this occasion i'm going to make an exception because we've had an email from lourdes castro osario who writes dear tennis podcast I've been a huge fan of the podcast for a few years now, and I just wanted to write to say thank you. Last year, I was lucky enough to be at Roland Garros, and I got to see Catherine on the grounds, but was too shy to say hi and how much I love and appreciate your podcast. In the confines of my Harlem apartment in New York City, amidst the sounds of ambulance sirens or the helicopters and curfew alerts in the last week, you have been a constant source of joy and a much-needed kind voice during these past few months. Through every mapped stat, unbelievable tour story from David, or the always poignant and insightful way Catherine puts everything into perspective, you remind us of the indomitable human spirit. When kindness and gratitude in the world matters more than ever, I figured it was the right time to say thank you. Isn't that lovely? Thank you. And that means an awful lot to us. Um, Yeah, it's quite difficult actually to 
to put into words what um, what notes like that mean to us. So apologies that I can't find anything sufficient to say other than that, that sometimes they're quite overwhelming, really, hearing things like that. So, um, mm. yeah, that people take the time <laughs> to write yeah. such thoughtful um, and eloquent uh, messages like that is really quite overwhelming. The, re- the reason we I wanted to read that one out in particular is because – We've had a number of similarly expressing this feeling of of just needing a I guess a familiar voice and a bit of bit of company and a, and something to to keep jolly about uh, in what is clearly a really difficult time for so many people. I mean, every nobody's immune to it. Some affected more than others, and um, and it those sort of notes have just done the world a good for us. And if we've helped in any way over the last uh, few weeks and months with, with producing podcasts, then then that's good enough for us. So thank you very much for that, for that email. And there's a, um, there's a really nice um, community tennis podcast community vibe going on, on the, um, the Reddit page. If people are hankering after a bit of podcast community escapism, yeah, it's, it's, it's a safe place. Indeed. Link in the show notes to this one if you would like to uh, <laughs> scroll down um, and uh, and click and join that. Um, also, a big thank you to Dawn, who backed the tennis podcast in our Kickstarter at the start of this year. She sponsored us to make her beautiful dog, Star, our mascot for Roland Garros. As we told you earlier on in this series of Roland Garros Relived, Star passed away earlier this year. And um, we were so sad to hear that news, but so happy that uh, that we were able to be sponsored and star as our mascot for these editions of Roland Garros Relived. So thank you, Dawn. We really Thanks, do appreciate Dawn. it. Um, and that just about ends things for Roland Garros Relived for 2020. Catherine, thank you. And Matt, thank you. It's It really is a joy to, to do this every day. And, uh, and yeah, we've had a ball, really. And uh, let's do some more. This big farewell, it's, it's made me all emotional, yeah. David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normally there's a, there's a train to rush off for, or a plane to catch, <laughs> or something to take your mind off. I've just got to go downstairs now. <laughs> <laughs> downstairs? You haven't done that for the last two weeks. Uh, two more podcasts next week coming up, folks. Um, and then we will be into Wimbledon uh, and reliving... All of those will release our schedule of matches that we've chosen. And Matt better get himself researching. <laughs> we couldn't narrow it down, so we're doing one middle Sunday. <laughs> we of did have we like are. an hour. We had an hour trying to decide on the 13th podcast, and then we ended up just giving up and saying, let's do 14. <laughs> <laughs> Which was uh, definitely your plan all along. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah that's it from us for now thanks to everybody for your support if um, if you've enjoyed the show do tell people you know because we're going to keep these coming do leave us a review on iTunes as well that helps people that might discover the tennis podcast on there find out what you think of it and if you want to be part of the crowdfunding for 2021 which will begin in December if you want to have a reminder about that just leave your details on a link uh, in that can be found in our show notes and we'll send one reminder at the start of December uh, just to remind you when it goes live. Um, But thanks ever so much for, for your backing for this year. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you soon. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.